Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a good spell uh, on the journey of Voice Wallers Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction went, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day. And, I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. Who wouldn't want to celebrate the Words and Nerds fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny B, and I'm super excited to welcome picture book author extraordinaire Scott Stewart, author of best-selling picture book My Shadow is Pink, nominated for CBCA Picture Book of the Year, and nominated for Arbia Children's Book of the Year. Scott is also author and illustrator of The Very First You, How to Be a Real Man, and Who's a Goose, which we're going to chat about today. You can catch Scott on episode 312 as well, chatting about My Shadow is Pink. Welcome back, Scott. How are you? I'm ma- What episode number are we up to now? 312. Fire yeah, out. it'll be. This, this one will be nearly 400 or 400. That so. is amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I keep saying I'm going to slow down, but then I can't say no to talking about <laughs> books. That doesn't happen. I love it. Yep. <laughs> now, usually we kick off with books, right? But today... Yeah. We're going to do something a bit different. So we discovered we had this sort of mutual love of hot chocolate. And am a I right? mutual kind of like, what do you call like not loving it, but not hating it, like, you know, of coffee. Like, I uh, don't drink coffee. Apathy? For- a- apathy, apathy for coffee? Let's go with that. We're coffee apathetic. Oh, I like that. <laughs> when you tell people you don't drink coffee, do they look at you like you're an alien? Absolutely. Yes. All the time. They yeah. sort of step back from you and go, what? Well, the, the person at the uh, the coffee store, like just downstairs from me where I go all the time, for ages they were saying to me, oh, okay, you're two hot chocolates for the kids. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. And then eventually I was like, actually, one of them's for me. And they looked at me like I was this, like, complete. I was like, surely you have other adults buying me? hot chocolates in me? here. <laughs> they always ask me if I want it warm because I think it's for my kid. I'm like, no, it's for me. It's for me. Make it lava. Yeah. <laughs> Make it lava. I like that. So, yes, we are the odd people in the room, but we're together, so we're the majority for once. I like it. Now, tell me what you did because we're about to try some hot chocolate. Well, so I love finding new chocolates, new hot chocolates. Uh, my son has gotten really into dark chocolate. Um, and so we, you know, it's kind of like, wine collecting but like you can get the best chocolate in the world for 10 bucks you know so it's like a really kind of affordable (laughs) yet slightly fancy thing and so I have been wanting to try this uh this brand out of Byron Bay called Grounded Pleasures for a little while um and so I thought you know for once I'm going to be talking to somebody who likes hot chocolate so let's just do this so I ship some to you I shipped some to me and here we are oh, right, for the gift. first time. I haven't tasted it yet. I've been me waiting, neither. right? Yeah. And it's, it smells really good. First of all, I was smelling the packet and I was thinking, like, what makes a good hot chocolate? So I reckon, tell me if I'm wrong, creamy okay. texture. It's got to be creamy, really chocolatey and rich. It's got to be lava hot, right? Don't give me your warm hot chocolates. <laughs> froth, nice froth on the top chocolate sprinkles and like a a full rich flavor so that's what i'm looking for i'm gonna be honest i have not given this as much thought as you (laughs) (laughs) i just really like chocolate so i'm gonna have to get into the language a little bit more like the the creaminess yeah (laughs) all right so i actually toasted my marshmallows i know that's amazing so i don't know why i did that because i just like them better so let's let's do this let's i'm gonna say and we have to give it a a rating i guess okay Mm. Oh, that's actually really good. Scott's <laughs> <laughs> choking. Listen, I inhaled it. <laughs> <coughs> now, I'm it's laughing, delicious. but are you okay? <laughs> it's absolutely amazing, but I pulled it down into my lungs. <laughs> <laughs> that is not where hot chocolate belongs. No. 
No, that is really good. That's it really is good. actually really, really good. I was yep. hoping it'd be good because it'd be awkward if I was saying it wasn't. <laughs> <Not> so, <laughs> I know. Yep. So if I'm giving lint, you know, when you go to the lint cafe and you pour the, the straight chocolate right into there, for me, that's a, a solid nine and a half. Okay. Your Cadbury for me is about a six or seven. Your Hague's is about a seven, eight. So I've got to decide where this sits. Okay. What about you? What do you like? I'm going to, like, I mean, Lint is very hard to go past. I am looking at a big tin of their mm. chocolate flakes right yeah, yeah, now. Yeah, that's what I've got. it stays in my office. <laughs> um, you know, it's so good. Uh, so that for me is like, yeah, nine out of 10. Mm. I'm going to go with like a solid 8.5 mm. on this one. I think it's absolutely delicious. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to go eight to nine as well because yep. it's, it's really good. It's actually, yeah. It it's really good. Yep. It's got that rich flavour. Mm. So for a podcast, we're just sitting here drinking. So. I know. <laughs> and times. what's good is like on video, this will make sense. But on Spotify, <laughs> people are going to be like, what are these two people doing? Mm. And what is and this chewing sound that I'm hearing right now? Well, no, I've decided to get into the toasted marshmallow. I love it. I and love if you it. look at the video, they're all stuck to my teeth now. <laughs> 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 well, I was telling Danny before you know, we came on, like I I promised that I would wait until this podcast to try the hot chocolate, but I did not wait for the marshmallows. There's <laughs> one left, you know, and it's only been here for a few days. So, yeah. Well, I took them out and I went, I want to roast these. So I just did it over the stove. <laughs> love it. Love it. With a chopstick. Oh, yes. <laughs> so here we are. DIY hey, yeah. camping. That's it. it. That's it. And we're not allowed to camp unless we're 5Ks from home. So. Touche. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I cannot thank you enough. And I, I was thinking about this. The next interview we do, because I know you've got a million books coming out in the next 18 months, I will return the favour and send okay. you something Ooh. to try. Something right? from like the depths of a rainforest in, Amaz- yes, in the Amazon. It. It'll be chocolatey. No matter okay. what it is, it'll be chocolatey. Fabulous. Right? I don't accept. know. What, so there'll be more <laughs> chewing and more drinking. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're going to talk about who's a goose. I loved this. I just thought it was so fun. It was clever. The illustrations were gorgeous. Give us an Thank elevator you. pitch as to what who's a goose about. So who's a goose follows two geese. One is Bruce. Bruce, who is an extremely, you know, uh, stick in the mud, you know, he's, you know, gets easily frustrated and, you know, he just wants to teach everybody what the collective nouns of animals are. <laughs> and his buddy is Bill, who is the complete opposite. He's fun. He's silly. He's always doing silly things off in the background. Um, and so it's a book that is all about the collective nouns of animals, but using these two characters. And it is just one hell of a funny story that you know, is very easy to read. Oh, it really is. And kids are just going to love it. I know mine did, like really. And the, oh, what wow. I loved too, and I love it when you can pick up a picture book as an adult and get it and enjoy it or see it in a different level. Because yeah. let's face it, Scott, how many times do you read a picture book to your child? 473? At least. Per night. (laughs) (laughs) So it really helps if the picture book has something for the parents as well. I'm very passionate about this. (laughs) Because they're the ones I pick up again and again, the ones that I'm like, oh, I actually think this is funny or I enjoy this or it's got something for me as well. I'm sure that's why things like Shrek and that are so successful because they're fantastic for kids, but they have all this stuff for adults uh, that you don't even understand or see as a kid yeah absolutely you know something that's like really in your face as well that's possibly a little bit inappropriate for the kids like it's always been done in this really delicate subtle way yeah like i find the simpsons very adult like i I don't think that's for kids well we're in the rise of adult animation now it's uh becoming really big yeah it is isn't it because we i think adults we need more fun in our lives this (laughs) is true I, I have plenty of fun and plenty of animation in my life. So good, 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 good. I am all about them. Oh, you need to find the joy, particularly in current situations. Yeah. What I really liked, though, was the play on language. And it was so, you know, so telling of how complicated and complex the English language is, you know, like goose, singular, geese. So you think moose should obviously be meese, makes total sense to me. Yeah. So it really highlighted the complexities of the English language. Did you have fun with that? Uh, well, this book actually started right there with my, I was telling my son some collective nouns um, and kind of talking about some of the funnier ones, you know, and I said, you know, one goose is goose, but two goose is geese. 
one moose is moose, but two moose is not moose. And he was like, bah, you know, and I thought, hmm, maybe there's something there. Uh, but it was a complete blast to write. It was a complete blast to illustrate. And I don't know about you. I mean, you're an author now, you know, um, when you read your own books, often all I am looking at is like, wow, that tree looks terrible. You know, <laughs> you know, I really wish I'd done a different drawing there. And they're like, oh, I have a way better line for that now. You know, but this one, I was able to just kind of sit back and enjoy. And I, the first time I read it, from the advanced copy, and I've already read it a billion times, you know, I was laughing. Like it was yeah. just so much fun to be a part of this project. And I mean, this one is really a, um, a testament to collaboration because I created this book, um, but it was in a very, very different state. You know, it was all about the collective nouns and it didn't have the two main characters. Okay. Um, and it even had a totally different title. And the publishers at Scholastic, you know, kind of came back with some feedback. And, uh, but with that note on the end, you know, feel free to push back, you know, if you think our feedback, you know, should be ignored, you know, but here's what we think. Um, and, uh, like I will often sit on that email for at least a few hours because my first reaction is like, no, my book is magnificent. <laughs> you know? um, and then you know, kind of allow myself to sit back and think about it a little bit more. And uh, everything they said was completely true. They wanted to bring in you know, these elements of you know, some main characters. Um, and then I created this you know, interplay between the two geese. And uh, so it became a million times funnier and uh, so much, so much better for the collaboration of this one. Mm. That's so cool that you say that it was fun to write because, you know, when you read something, you can sort of feel the joy. You yeah. know, I felt there was joy in the book and so I thought this must have been fun to write. So there was lots of laughs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, still, <laughs> it's high energy. Like, it's really it cool. Is. I really yeah. liked it. Thank you. Now, collective nouns. I love them, right? And in your book, you've got, you know, a herd of moose and a colony of ants. I love a tower of giraffes. How much yes. do I love that? Cauldron of Bats. Who would have yes, thought that one? That so one's one of my good. favorites. That one of your like favorites? The picture is like these witches, yeah. you know, yeah. brewing up these bats. That's probably bad. Of course. You know? <laughs> <laughs> mentioned bats. Yeah. <laughs> and really random ones, like a skulk of foxes. Who yes. comes up with this one? I love skulk here, of foxes. Here's the thing that I learned. Um, so koalas don't have a collective noun. Oh. And, but Can we they, make one up? Well, they recently did because a oh. collective noun is there's no official thing. It's just what people decide to call it. Oh. And that's what becomes the official thing. And so they ran this poll on this Facebook group um, to figure out what a, the collective noun of koala should be. And like overwhelmingly, it was Oh my God, overwhelmingly, it was Scott's forgotten what it was. Um, so a eucalypt? Of I'm pretty koalas? sure it was a cuddle, a cuddle oh, of koalas. That's really cute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's literally just what people decide to call it. Wow, that is amazing. Because I looked up a few today, and I've got to say, my favorite is a destruction of wildcats. Oh, I haven't seen that one. That one's good. <laughs> How cool is that? I like that. Yeah. Murder of crows, like that was always my Obviously. favorite. But I, I think yep. I think I've, I think I changed my favorite to a destruction of wildcats. Like, <laughs> How cool is that? That is very cool. Yeah, you because know, <laughs> the birds have such wild ones: murder and parliament and yeah, all yeah, that's sorts cool. of stuff. So yeah, <laughs> murder parliament. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> no comments. Yeah. Maybe edit those into a different order or something. Yeah. It's, it's my... <laughs> <laughs> now the illustrations are beautiful it's interesting that you say you, you know i guess as artists you're always critical of your own work because you know I, I guess there's some perfectionism that comes into it um and i always hear that you know art is never finished you just publish it or you put it aside but it's never finished because it's only can... abandoned yep. yes exactly it's abandoned or it's published or it's put on a shelf so i like yeah. that idea but i loved the illustrations i thought they had so much movement and personality Thank you. And um, so I wanted to ask your process, you know, do you have an image of the frog or the giraffe before you start creating or do you surprise yourself and go, oh, I didn't think it was going to look like that, but here we are. Look, I'm sure there are illustrators with far better processes than I have. You know, <laughs> my process is, you know, because I come from a commercial art background, you know, I was a designer, um, you know, and toy designer and all that sort of stuff. And so everything was kind of around like what the what the market wants you and suddenly in these picture books it's very much like 
you, there, there is that element, but it's what do I want to create? And so I have spent the last few books really figuring that out. So generally what I do is I, I literally download, like for the frogs, I download 675 pictures of frogs you know, and stick them up everywhere. And then I just try and get really loose, really fast, really energetic, and just try and draw and just look for shapes that wow. interest me. Um, and sometimes I succeed Sometimes I fail, probably more often than not I fail, but if nothing... would be else, author if you didn't have more failures than success. <laughs> yeah, this is true. And what's great is I have a, you know, my, my author can't sack me because I am the author. So, you know, I, uh, I, I have certain stages that I'm very, very slow at. Um, you know, I'm very slow at storyboards, um, which is kind of figuring out exactly what is going to be on, on the page. I'm very slow at that, but moving from there forward, extremely fast, yeah. you know, um, it takes me forever to figure out what I want on a page, you know, <laughs> and I'm slowly getting better at the process around that. Now I don't look at illustration at all. I like sit down and I write up different ideas for each page and things okay. like that. Um, you know, but yeah, I, ask me next time and I'll give you a completely different process because <laughs> I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> no, that's good though. I think processes A should evolve and B, they might be different with each project. Well, one of the most fantastic things I ever heard was they did this study on a whole bunch of New York Times bestselling authors who wrote novels and they tried to find like some uniform process what pencil do they use <laughs> um and uh everybody was so wildly different but not only that a whole bunch of them wrote in their car and two of them while the car was moving you know it's so, wow. <laughs> like, everybody has such a wildly different you know, set of mm. you know, processes that like most of us couldn't replicate. You know? Yeah. And with creativity, it's, it's a weird beast because sometimes you can sit down at the computer or the paper or however you do it and think, okay, I've got this time and I'm going to do it. But sometimes nothing comes and you just sit there with your blank piece of paper or you might have some crappy words on it. But then another time you sit down and like, oh, like I, I was able to, you know, pump out this zero draft. So creativity, like in some ways it can't be forced. Like I know the psychology of sitting down at the same time each week, that really helps your brain, you know, rev up those creative juices, but it's not, you can't force it. You know, like I've often had to write something recently and I'm like, I've got nothing this weekend, like nothing, like nothing, like the words are coming out, but they're all horrible and they're not what I want. They're not what I envisioned. And so I have to just like, let it go for a week and then come back to it again. Well, and then it's, a, oh, here it is. the funny thing about so like I, for 15 odd years, I was a commercial artist. Yeah. Um, and the really funny thing about that is that you learn that your know, inspiration is really tied to your deadline <laughs> you know, when I have six months to create something I'm sitting there I've got no ideas but when I know that the client is walking in in 15 minutes and I've got a screen you can bet something's going to get created you know and so I try and bring that with all my writing um and especially my illustrating you know I uh, I set very very firm kind of internal deadlines mm -hmm. um it's, it's you know the, the writing side like i just finished a uh, a series and i set myself this really kind of arbitrary i mean these the, the publishers weren't even like asking for this thing you know <laughs> and so i set myself this really tight you know deadline and because of that you know i found it really easy to create but mm -hmm. you I definitely from being a commercial artist you you really learn how to get past inspiration yep. blocks and the biggest thing for me is just creating a lot of really crap stuff, um, yeah, you totally. know, because like it's, you know, the first idea of anything, at least for me, you know, the first idea is always terrible. Like My Shadow is Pink, which is uh, quite a you know, well-known book for me. Um, the first idea of that sucked, you know, it had. Let's just, let's just clarify that, Scott, and say it's like this best-selling, amazing juggernaut. So I'll say it for you. So carry on. <laughs> the, 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 the first idea of that was terrible and nothing like it is now. Um, and then I sat with that idea because I knew I wanted to create something with it. And I just kept on trying to improve it, not write the story, but you know, to improve the idea. 
and kept doing that and doing that until I had something which I thought was actually pretty good, you know? And so I kind of take that into all my projects. Like right now I'm literally sitting here. I, I don't know, these marshmallows, could make a really terrible story. So I'll just write down something terrible about marshmallows. Marshmallows, you get eaten and they didn't want to. So like, they're all heartbroken. You know, And then I'll sit with that over six months and just look for ways that I can turn this thing into something that's actually got some uniqueness to it, something that has a different angle to it, something that might have a little bit more conflict, you know, a little bit more heart wrench to it um, and kind of go from there because Every single book that I have written that is um, like that first idea, yeah, uh, like all the way through, they none of them are very good, you know. But the ones that I write where I have this idea and then I have to work on, oh, well, that's not very good. But I do want to book in this zone, mm-hmm. you know. So I've got to keep on working on that idea and keep on working on it, keep on working it. They're the ones that I'm really, even if no sales, they're the ones that I am truly internally proud of. Yeah, no, I love that. And with something like My Shadow is Pink, because it's been highly successful, even though you thought the first draft wasn't very good, did you just know in your gut that this is going to be something special? And I'm not talking best-selling, but special. Did you think that from the start? So I have a small ego um (laughs) and so my very first book it's here it's was a worldwide bestseller it sold six copies um you know it's called a pickle in the post (laughs) it's not very good you know it's the first book i ever wrote um i thought this thing was going to be the next harry potter you know, I Still thought, could that, be. Still you know, could I be, thought that it was so wildly incredible and original and everybody was going, now I look at it, I'm like, ah, it's not a very good story. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but so I generally don't, like I will often um, be way more optimistic mm-hmm. than I should be about a book. Um, but I'm also, I, I have learned that I am not very good at, like one of the things I am really actually pretty terrible at is, knowing when a story actually has some really good legs. Like mm-hmm. I, uh, like my shadow is pink. I was working on a totally different story. I had that finished I was, and it was sitting in my computer and I was like, oh, you know, I'd kind of been to a couple of publishers. They didn't like it. Um, and I was kind of determined to self-publish it. And so I, uh, I was working on a completely different project, completely different book that I thought was significantly better and my wife kept on telling me you know my shadow's pink is way better than this piece of trash that you're writing <laughs> you know and I was like you don't understand like this <laughs> this book is gonna be it you know and I sent my shadow is pink in with that other manuscript as a oh by the way I also have this you know and boom you know wow. and like my uh, my agent is probably laughing if she hears this because you know that will often accompany you know things where I'm like I'm working on this like incredible story <laughs> oh by the way I've got this like little trashy thing like here. she's like show me that show my me wife that keeps thing. telling me to send this to you so here have it and then she's like oh my god this is the one I'm like yeah you know, so I am not very good at recognizing the commercial viability of my own work hmm. you know, other people's work I feel like I'm pretty good at it but my own work too close I'm to it or something way yeah. too close to it yeah it's interesting but you know I always go with just be overly optimistic what other choice do you have you know, this is true. like, yeah. <laughs> you're just going to be overly optimistic. You're just going to be a cheerleader. I mean, what else you got in life? Just got to find the joy wherever well, you can find everybody it. Everybody kind of writes down their goal of like, I've just spent a year and a half working on this book and I'm going to sell three copies. You know, <laughs> I think everybody kind of wants, you know, this thing to go well, whether yeah. we did it or not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I love those stories though. Ah, oh, just this one. This is all right. And hey, boom. Everyone <laughs> this is all it. the time. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> but just don't change your process, you know, because I know. it's working. Like it's working. So don't change that. I'm very fortunate that my, both my wife and my son I have given them permission to be extraordinarily critical yep. of all my work. And so even my son, he's eight, you know, I will say to him, I just wrote this book, like, and I, inside I'm like, this thing is amazing, you know, and I'll show it to him and he's like, mm, three out of 10. I'm like, oh, <laughs> damn. 
them. Okay. Oh, look at that knife out of my heart. And my wife, Io, she's kind of got the the kindness to it, mm-hmm. but it's always in this uh, the same sentence that she uses all the time where she says, I wouldn't say it's your best work. <laughs> It's very <laughs> pragmatic. I know. And, I'm, and, I, and then this tiny little nugget of optimism inside me is like, but you're saying it's still good? <laughs> like, My second best work? Yes, right. So it'll be up there though? You know, so, yeah. She's like, mm, I'm trying to use euphemism here. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right, yeah. My nine-year-old, he is my test audience. And can I say very honest I mean that's how I am I'm a pretty straight up kind of person and I can't blame him for that but I'll you know and I'll be like this is meant to be funny is this funny he'll be like um I I smiled he'll say but I didn't really laugh I think if you need to ask a reader if it was funny you already know the answer you already know the answer but every time he said that I've gone back and done a rewrite 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 and then it's ended up obviously so much better than what it started so it's kind of cool to have that dagger in your heart (laughs) I know I know it can hurt yeah, but it makes yeah. it better. I mean, that is, you know, because of my background, you know, where you like all day, every day, I was sending things that I was really proud of to people and they were just telling me over and over again, that one sucks, change that color. You know, this one needs to have this, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like I've, I feel like I've got the uh, the resilience with critique, but it still sometimes hurts yeah. when you're really proud of something. Yeah, look, I was a high school teacher, so go ahead and try and insult me. <laughs> Not going to work. Yeah, I can imagine. I can guarantee I've been, um, you know, been given a lot of uh, feedback from high school kids. <laughs> yes. Uh, 17-year-old's feedback would be very yeah. eloquent. Yeah. Yes, yes. Very, very to the point sometimes. So <laughs> maybe that's why I do feedback okay. <laughs> Love it. Now, many of your books, I mean, obviously, Who's a Goose was really, really fun, but many of your books, they do have a deeper message and, you know, particularly around toxic masculinity and the importance of being yourself. Do you see society shifting? Like, I know it's shifting in the right direction, but do you feel like it's shifting quickly enough in the right direction when it comes to stereotypes and being happy with yourself and acceptance and all that kind of stuff? Uh, That's a really good question. I think... um... I mean, define quick enough, you know. Mm, Um, Never quick enough. Yeah, you know, I I think nothing's ever quick enough. And I think one of the things that, um, like, I looked at this uh, really interesting data from the World Health Organization that said, you know, we're going to finally achieve gender equality in just 208 years. Oh, is that all? (laughs) Um, I'm really looking for, I'm going to put it on my calendar. I know. (laughs) know, Because I think, look, you're really deep systemic change you know, this is stuff that needs to resolve over generations. Absolutely. Um, you know, our children are way more accepting than yeah. we are, you know, and their kids are going to be way more accepting than they are and their kids are going to be way more accepting and everything than they are. And, you know, things are going to, you know, crop up like uh, an issue that we're not even thinking about right now, you know, is going to turn up for the people once they already have those kind of, you know, base things in there. So I think we're going to be working on it for quite a long time. But so I went to this, you know, self-help conference a long time ago and, um, you know, they've always got really fantastic, you know, motivational slogans and, and stuff like that. But one of the things, the exercises that they did was uh, they said, if you couldn't fail, you know, if failure was impossible, what would you do? And Ooh, I, like I re- and I remember just thinking, you know, this is kind of like a genie in a bottle question. It's not super effective. What would I do if I was guaranteed to fail, you know, but would be mm. worth it anyway, mm. you know? And to me, empowering kids, um, helping them find acceptance and love and, you know, that to me is worth it even if we don't get them. Mm. I like that answer. I do. Sorry, Thank I wasn't you. ready for you finishing. I'm still chewing on marshmallow. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you still had another sentence, so I shoved marshmallow in my mouth. <laughs> that was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I need to start loading myself up. Yeah, okay, well, like, on one last mouth. I'm just peeling off the, the roasted bit of the outside. It is so delicious. I can't oh, even tell that. you. <laughs> <laughs> but you are, like, you're pushing down uh, some empowering messages and stuff in your upcoming books as well, aren't you? 
yeah, well, I'm trying to. I'm hoping that's how it's conveyed. <laughs> but, um, I was really interested in exploring um, motherhood, being yep. a mother myself. And, um, you know, I had two kids very close together and, well, not very, but felt very, like, less than two years. And, you know, you kind of lose the identity or your identity of before, you know, you were a mother and then all of a sudden people are, seem to just distill you into your and just now a mother. And then you come out of the fog. They never of, ask how you are. Yeah, it's the baby. It's <laughs> they look great. Your mother knows at me. I've had about yep. two hours sleep in two years, but anyway. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, so I was feeling, um, you know, when you come out of that fog, and this is sort of how, when I started the podcast in 2017, I was looking for something to find myself again, you know, because I was happy to sort of, go in deep and you know never not come out for five years while I did all the feeding and the sleeping and the you know all that stuff but then there's a point where you sort of come out into the light and you're like oh who am I again so the podcast was part of that but you know I just thought it'd be interesting to explore the identity of motherhood and what if a mother never lost that like her identity you know when you're in your 20s and you want to try everything and you want to experience everything and you're you're sort of out doing your kids so you're the one who's bungee jumping and that kind of stuff so i just found that really interesting and i'm not saying that men don't lose their identity either i was just speaking from my own experience you know of um yeah absolutely completely bunkered down in the in the kids yeah i think it's it's one of those things that uh I feel like every mother can relate to this loss of identity. Yeah. Um, and yet it, I don't feel like it's something that we really talk about. You know, I was really fortunate that, uh, you know, for men we have, you know, there are definitely some men who lose identity um, and there are men with completely different, you know, um, struggles. Uh, I was really, really fortunate that one of my friends pulled me aside before my son was born and, um he kind of just shared all the expectations and feelings that he had had over the last couple of years that he was really kind of ashamed of, you know, and he, like one of them was, he said, you know, uh, he didn't feel any love or connection for his child for the first like nine months, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was just this little alien, you know, and when it actually started uh, like moving around and walking and all those sorts of things, that's when the connection came. And it was just this really beautiful conversation that kind of gave me the freedom to have whatever experience was true for me. Uh, So I definitely think a book like you have created is so needed just so that mums can know that you know they're not alone um they're allowed to feel these things and just maybe there's a path out yeah absolutely and just being okay to be yourself and you know you're not just a mother or just a father you're all multitude of all of these things and although that's a very important part of your life you know i think it's really important that you have your own you know identity and your own interests and your own passions as well because that's what i think even makes you a better parent and a better human being you know yeah, I mean, I'm constantly haunted by this. Uh, I think it's Carl Jung, who's a psychologist and stuff. Um, he um, I just brush off like a lifetime of work. <laughs> yeah, he's a psychologist. Or something. <laughs> a lifetime of groundbreaking work. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so um, he, one of the things that he said is, and I'm going to butcher this quote completely, but the. Let's say paraphrase. The, yeah, let's paraphrase this, baby. Um, it's, uh, you know, the biggest um, burden on a child is the unlived life of the parent. Oh, you know? wow. Yeah. And it's something that I think about a lot combined with this kind of this contrast with like I need to live my life to be an effective parent and role model and so that I have like the emotional fortitude to go and have the patience and all those sorts of things and yet you know I don't want to miss anything you know and I don't want them thinking I was an absent parent and so it's kind of this this uh impossible balance exactly it yeah. is yeah it really is i feel the same way you know and with all your interests and your passions you want to do them but then you've got to balance the time and that's why i podcast late at night because you know i put them to bed by then and so then i can do my thing without feeling you know that constant parent guilt yes <laughs> <laughs> that you feel constantly although well, we have no shortage of time together at the moment we've been in lockdown for 11 weeks so you know we're yeah. together all the time yeah i mean it's funny you know i have felt a little bit you know 
how do you pronounce this word? Heretic? 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 Now I don't even know. You don't even know? <laughs> Let's just go with heretic and All like right. someone can Google it afterwards. <laughs> um, you know, I feel like a little bit, you know, like I shouldn't be saying that I have really enjoyed lockdown, you know. Um, I, I mean, I, when Colin, uh, my son, started school you know I uh it was amazing and I was so happy for him and happy for us and this kind of little part of me was just like oh you know I I really wish I you know got more time with him you know I feel like that stage is gone now um and suddenly we have this kind of (laughs) you know once in a like you know childhood opportunity to reclaim some of that time um Mm. and so I that is not saying I don't lose my patience sometimes and it's <laughs> oh, not saying <laughs> that, you know, I have not struggled to work because, oh, my <laughs> goodness, you know, but, you know, there is this, for me at least, there's the overlying that has been this sense of, you know, um, gratitude for this, like, really unique opportunity mixed in with frustrations. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. And, look, spending time with them is, is really important and I... I you, know, you want to make them feel safe because you know they know what's going on even if you try and protect them from it you know they're, they're, they know what's going on they're more clued in than you'd like to think they are so it's really that you know you are safe in this house you're okay you know and everything's going to go back to normal eventually so it's it's really about trying to make it convince yourself too i guess <laughs> <laughs> touche yes this is but do you think you know you were saying when Colin went to school it was hard I mean for me it was hard too and my kids um started schools so it's sort of an end of an era but I don't know about you this is this might be fairly over dramatic but I feel like parenting is constantly grieving a little bit I remember the first birthdays were like so hard for me I'm like oh my babies are gone you know their numbers now they're one and they're three and I feel there's just that um you know, constant gratitude that they're growing older and you can see them becoming you know their own people but there's also that grieving of i'm never gonna have that baby again i'm never gonna have that toddler again you know do you find that or is it just me being oh no absolutely (laughs) i completely forgot who said it but um somebody said that parenthood is the only time that you grieve in advance um and you know i uh there's so many things like you know i was thinking the other day because uh my my, you know uppies like where you're carrying yeah yeah um, my son asked for uppies and I put him down and I just had this really weird, depressing thought where I was like, one day I'm going to put him down and never pick him up again. Mm. You know? and, uh, oh, I mean, talk about going straight to the like worst thing possible. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I mean, it's this idea of trying to savor every moment and at the same time, you know, let that moment unfold you know, how it needs to, you know. So, yeah, I definitely experienced that. And especially because I really, really consciously and intentionally wanted to be a very present and active parent. Um, you know, there are, like, I have some friends who have um, a, a, a young baby and they were talking about the, you know, 3 a.m. feed and stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, man, that was hard. Oh, I kind of miss that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, you do. You do. And yeah. then someone says, remember how you didn't get any sleep? But you sort of, you don't remember the bad bits. You sort of romanticise it, you know. And I remember yeah. sleeping out in the lounge room, feeding my newborn, and you had a blanket over you and the heater was on. And it was, you know, stupid o'clock. But there was something safe and comforting and nice about it. Here's the time I don't remember is, like, I remember putting my, trying to put my son to sleep and I hadn't slept in weeks. Like oh. I was, because my wife and I, we had, at the very beginning, we had made a, we'd had a really, I think, a conversation that all parents should have. But, you know, we had a conversation that was basically like, what are each other's strengths? You know, mm. what do you, what are you good at? What do you, who's struggle? good at no sleep? You know, that was the conversation. <laughs> we said, who is, who operates better on less sleep? And it was unanimously agreed that I do, you know, and so from very early, I did the overnight uh, mm. shift, I guess. Yeah. If you call it that. And I will never forget putting my son to sleep and I was so damn tired and I was rocking him and rocking him and I just couldn't get him to sleep. And I walked downstairs to, uh, to Mel and I was just like, I oh, just, nothing I can do will get him to sleep. I'm so tired. And she said, 
Uh, Scott, you know, you guys have been up there for like nine hours. You slept, you've been sleeping. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. I didn't even notice. I was so tired. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. My, um, my son, he never slept. Like for nine months, he probably slept for about two hours in one go. And I remember at one point, he was about nine months old, and I'd forgotten my name. You know, someone was trying to talk to me, and I just said, don't even bother talking to me yep. seriously. I have no idea <laughs> how to answer anything. Yep. So yep. it really gets you. But then you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, I missed that. And then yeah. your logical brain goes, did I? Do you? <laughs> did I really? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So Scott, you have got an extraordinary number of picture books coming out in the next 18 months. Like you yes. are just an absolute extraordinary machine. Can you tell and me about you, any of them? What was that? He's coming too. Sorry? Some junior fiction. Junior fiction. Too. So you're an absolute machine. Can you tell me anything about anything or do you have to kill me? Uh, you know what? I haven't read my contracts deep enough. So let's just <laughs> say like, yes, I can. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, in May next year, uh, April, May is going to be a little bit of a busy time for me. I self-published a book called Alone, which is about planet Earth waking up in space and looking for a friend. Um, and, uh, she obviously can't find one. And, uh, so that I've been really fortunate that that's been picked up by Hardy Grant to be republished. Um, mm -hmm. and so I'm just kind of reworking on that now. So that's coming out in April. My shadow is pink sequel, which is my shadow is yes. purple is I'm coming so out. Looking in forward to that. Um, and I mean, we're here talking about who's a goose, who's a little goose comes out in May as well. Oh, cool. Uh, and, uh, there's, I mean, there's a whole bunch of them, you know, in the, uh, the late Later part of the year and 2023 is when my junior fiction comes out wow. um which let me ask you this you know, i always had this idea when i like from when i was eight years old i wanted to be an author and i had this idea that you hit the full stop and then like three days later the book is on the shelf obviously you know, i like <laughs> i like this junior fiction March 2023, it's coming out, you know, um, which I'm super excited for, uh, but I never realized the yeah, timeline involved in these things. Mm. I remember, you know, because I, when I self-publish, you know, you literally full stop, self-publish, bam, done. And uh, a person I know had just uh, signed a publishing deal and it was like a four-year process. Wow. And I was just like, I don't know if I have that patience. Uh, well, it turns out, I do, not because I am necessarily that patient, but because now like it's other deadlines coming. So like you ship something off and then yeah. like, okay, so that'll be on shelf in like nine months. And you're like, oh, how am I going to wait that long? And then you're writing and drawing stuff. And then like, oh, your book comes out next week. You're like, ah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't have enough time. So. I think it's definitely about that. They're just finishing the project and starting a new one, finishing a project, starting a new one, because otherwise the wait will just drive you impatient like you know mad yeah. with impatience and starting new projects is the easiest way to come up with new ideas too yeah so, that's yeah. right i love starting a new project because i'm a very hopeful person but there's always the hope that this is going to be this is going to be great now sometimes the one. they don't yeah. i've got a spreadsheet that has ideas that you know have worked and are finished and then a whole long list of ideas that haven't worked i may go back to guess which list is the longest <laughs> <laughs> I have a monstrous list, monstrous, <laughs> monstrous. I actually, I have a list in Google Drive and a list on my computer. They're both enormous. I think you were saying that you just got heaps of ideas and you're always working on something. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I always kind of had this thing, you know, when I was younger again, like, you know, what if you only ever have one idea, you know? And, um, and then when My Shadow is Pink came out, somebody forwarded me really kindly, follow, forward me this... Um, uh, TED talk by Elizabeth Gilbert who wrote Eat, Pray, Love and Big yeah. Magic and stuff. And the TED talk was, what if your best work is behind you? Yeah. And I was like, thanks for that email. Wow. Um, you know, That's but, inspiring. You know, but yeah, just moving into the next project, uh, like I have found like a complete love for the process. And if things yeah, go well, too. amazing. Yep. You know, obviously I'd prefer them to, you know, um, <laughs> but yeah, complete love for the process that just lets me move on, move on each time. Yeah. Yeah. I love the process. I love the beginnings hard because you think, I don't know if I can do this again or at all. 
but then as you move through and you can see it getting bigger and you get better and you just keep chipping away at it that's when I, I really start to enjoy the process when you can see shape taking place you know you think okay yep. but I, I th I've started to think that you know we're not going to run out of words we're not going to run out of ideas not all no. of them work that's fine because sometimes you have to do you know seven terrible ideas to get to the good one so I just keep telling myself, you're not going to run out of words or ideas, yeah. you'll be fine. And even from the commercial side, like there is literally no way to tell if a book is going to be successful. Yeah. Like it could be written by a mega celebrity and nobody could buy it. Like it could be written by nobody, you know, in quotation marks, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, it's a runaway success. You know, you just never you never can tell if it's going to hit that market in that magical yep. way, you know. And so. because there's a lag, like you said, sometimes up to four years by the time you write yeah. it and then by the time it is released, I mean, society changes, what resonates with people changes, what's in, on trend changes. So, you know, I think that's part of it as well. I can just imagine what it would be like writing crime novels. <laughs> <laughs> is this like a segue into your novel writing, Danny? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes, I, it's funny. I think we had a conversation <laughs> that I'd abandoned my crime novel, can I say? Okay, yep. But there's been a development. Oh, okay. And I wasn't going to bring this up, but you sort of brought it up for me. Um, I got a phone call from a publisher that said, we've just seen, you know, your work and we would like you to rewrite it. And they gave me some feedback. They said it had lots of potential. So this project that I thought... I don't think it has any legs because you know self-confidence. Yeah, yeah. Zero. Yeah. And so yeah, I've just started rewriting again according to their feedback. So that's pretty exciting. This is so awesome. May not get anywhere, but hey, that's that's good, isn't it? That's a little well, bit of I also, you know, the other fun thing you as an author is it's one of the few spaces where you know, the people buying it will go, this is great. Now rewrite the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was super excited to get the call, right? Like super excited. And they were like, oh, you know, we're you really, should be. That's so really sorry that, you know, didn't make the, you know, prize thing that you went for. That's okay. But, you know, we're really interested in blah, blah, And then I got off the phone and I spoke to some of my, my writer friends like, oh, like what was the feedback? I said, oh, well, I'm going to change the perspective from first person to third person. That's oh. all. And they're like, that's an entire rewrite, isn't it? I'm like, yeah. Pretty much, yep. <laughs> 90,000 words. <laughs> but I was so super excited. I'm like, I don't care. Tell me to set it on fire. I'll do it. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I so. love that. Well, congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. And so Junior Fic and Picture Books, was there something else you were working on as well? Uh, there's a few projects. Um, yeah, so I... We're outing each other, Scott. <laughs> I know. What have I done? Look, I, I have a huge kind of backlog of projects I am working on. Uh, I'm working on uh, some middle fiction uh, books. I'm working on a TV show. I'm working Ooh. on um, an animated film. Um, I'm working... I, well, I think I'm one of those authors that when you say I'm working on a novel, I have been working on it for about seven years. And if you... If we talk in 36 years, I will still say, yeah, I'm still working on that novel. Um, Welcome so. to episode 4,005. Yeah, that's right. Scott, have you finished that novel yet? <laughs> um, I've released a lot more picture books. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think uh, one of the next conversations we have, maybe it'll be episode 700. Maybe maybe we'll be talking about our novels, Scott. Who knows? That would be amazing. Yes, let's do that. Interview each other. Okay. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> When we when we're both like grey and yes, that's right. That's right. on our hundredth birthdays, yeah. <laughs> we'll have a hundredth yeah. party with our our debut novel, adult novels. <laughs> wow, what's this? Uh, you know, what's this Facebook that you keep referencing? In this you might need to rewrite it again. How funny. Now, Scott, you've got, you know, you, like I said before, a million things coming out and yep. million ideas, which are wonderful. And I'm looking forward to all of the things that you bring out. But what defines a Scott Stewart book? Um, wow. Far out. That's a that's a good question. I, I think I'd end with an easy question. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think uh, the thing that I am always striving for um, and sometimes reaching near it and often not is I really want my books to have a lot of heart. You know, um, I want it to, I want my books to um, kind of change the perspective that people 
you use to look at life. Um, I really want them to just think about things a different way. Um, and that, you know, in my books, I mean, this comes across in so many different ways from education can be ridiculously fun, you know, with who's a goose through to here's a completely, you know, here's what we should be thinking about in terms of gender and acceptance. And, you know, so um, I really hope that uh, kids can kind of take away just a new, uh, slightly more beneficial way of looking at life. For mm, I love that. I love that. As well as, you know, bringing that joy in, which of course your new book has mm. so much joy in it. Thank you. And are you Bill or Bruce? I am 100% most definitely not a Bruce. Uh, <laughs> I am. They're, they're, I could have told you that. <laughs> I am very much the ridiculous silly goose uh, who is pranking his wife at all the worst times. Um <laughs> And like, I, like, even with homeschooling, I'm always having the conversation, like, can't we just make this a bit more fun? You know, <laughs> That's uh, me. Can't we just go out for a walk or play yeah. Minecraft? So I'm very definitely a Bill and not a Bruce. Yeah, look, I, I think I am too. When I was in charge, the day I was in charge of school, uh, homeschooling, the kids stayed in their pajamas and watched Harry Potter. <laughs> I love this. I mean, it's educational, you know. That was my homeschool. If you put the subtitles on there, reading. <laughs> I got fired from homeschool. Got... <laughs> <laughs> they had a great day. They thought it was great. I bet they did. They're like, we want mum. We want mum. Yeah. Best day ever. <laughs> oh, no, it's always such a pleasure chatting to you, Scott. I mean, next time, like I said, it's my treat, something delicious and chocolatey. We'll sample something new and we'll chew again. I'm, I've been chewing on marshmallows this whole episode. <laughs> I very much look forward to that. That would be amazing. It's always I, a pleasure chatting to you. When I edit, I'm going to be so annoyed at myself because I'm going to hear myself chewing the entire episode. <laughs> In the background. <laughs> like, why did I do that? But it's so delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all that matters, really. That's right. So it yep. says apologies to listeners. <laughs> but it is a, such a pleasure to speak to you about not only fun picture books, but picture books that really try and make a positive difference to our kids. And what I just love so much about picture books is they're the books that you read to your kids, that you spend time with, connecting with them, usually in the dark, in their bedroom, when everyone's falling asleep, that really calm, you know, part of the day after you've had all the impatience and frustration and homeschooling and all that stuff that's the time when you can connect together and that's why I think picture books are so much more than um than just words and pictures on a page so thank you so much Scott you are very welcome I like I remember the picture books from my childhood you know, and hopefully you know, the next generation can too absolutely thank you so much thanks Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. We'd love to engage with you on social media. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Danny V Books, Words and Nerds podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.